0: what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be than life, than the world, out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You Man, I gotta tell you, you guys know I love the intro, and we're talking about every boy and girl's hopes and dreams. And... This particular episode is going to put a little perspective on every little girl and boy's hopes and dreams. Uh, I have a gentleman here that at one time was an attorney and he stopped practicing law to film a documentary. And I got to tell you, I watched it just this morning. So it's fresh on my mind and it was very eye opening. And it's about a little island called Madagascar. I think we've all heard of it, we've seen the cartoon, we've seen all the fun stuff about it. But, you know, it really goes much deeper than that. And his documentary is Madagascar, and it features stories. There's some political dissent that's in there as well. But primarily, it's about three different women that have three different walks of life there in Madagascar. And I, I can't say that I envied any of them, but uh, we'll get deeper into that here shortly. But first, let me introduce you to Cam Cowan. Cam, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much, Larry, and thanks for taking an interest in the film. It means a lot. When
0: when it was presented to me for the opportunity to talk to you, uh, I was blown away, and I was like, you know what? That is something that I feel like I need to know more about, and I want to share with my audience. So Perfect. it works out great here. So, like I say, man, I told you before that uh, in the green room that I watched the documentary this morning, and it's uh, it's kind of a rough viewing. Give us a little perspective on. What you would expect a Madagascar film to be, as compared to, you know, what Madagascar is all about?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's the nub of it, isn't it? It's it is a it is a tough film to watch. I did not want to fabricate something uh, fluffy because that's not the situation there. Although you do see these remarkable people who uh, have a great sense of humor and find their joy out of extraordinarily difficult circumstances. They have uh, amazing dignity and wonderful perspective on life. And, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough movie because it's a, it's a tough country. And the comparison is stark between what we think about, we know about Madagascar and what the reality is. So the tagline for Madagascar is the real Madagascar. Madagascar is the name they call their country, Madagascar is a french colonial name pinned on the country and we all refer it to by the colonial name so i felt that it was important to try to give them back their name uh, of their country and present the reality of their existence we mostly know about Madagascar. almost everybody over the age of four knows the word madagascar right sure because the animated films great animated films i love them but it, it can numb us to what is really happening often. in fact it could sort of make us think that maybe Madagascar is a a made-up land, you know, a a fairy tale land or something. Definitely. But but it's real. I think the other way we know about Madagascar is through the environmental efforts to save the lemurs and the rainforest there. It's an extraordinary place where 90% of the vegetation and animal life are found nowhere else on earth because it was so isolated millions of years ago. But it's, its people are unique as well. Their language is unique. They look unique. They actually don't think of themselves as part of Africa, even though geopolitically they are. And it's a large island. It's the fourth largest island in the world. And it's got a population now that's approaching 30 million people. Wow. Half the people are children, and half of the children are chronically malnourished. And um, uh, when I first learned about Madagascar in, in a Meaningful way, it was the poorest country on the planet, and it's the only country that is not a conflict country that is poorer today than it was in 1960. The only the only country in the world. So a, lot, a lot of my inquiry was, how did it get that way, right? And why do I not know about it? You know, can anything be done about it? And then I started about a year of research, and and I did a reconnaissance trip over there to learn more and meet people, and and I developed a few theses and and wanted to actually test them play them out while I was filming and interviewing people and I wanted to be challenged as to those theses I wanted to challenge people's views of of what was really going on and and out of that process I think came a uh, an accurate understanding of of how the country got that way
0: well let, let's give a little perspective on how the country really is as compared to how we would think it is because of the cute little lemurs and the animated films. This is one thing I don't know that I wish I did is, is the movie out or will it be releasing?
1: Yeah, it'll be uh, released on June 26th on uh, Amazon prime and DocuRama and then other streaming services uh, shortly after.
0: Okay. I wanted to make sure we get that out there. So, uh, but I also don't want to put any spoilers out there, but it's, you know, it's a documentary. So, It's not like I'm going to spoil the plot. That's right. (laughs) But But it's shocking when you see the lives of some of these folks. And you mentioned, and it's even mentioned in the film, that they were poorer now than they were relatively in the 60s and 70s. And it's evident when you see one of the storylines where they live and, and, and work in a landfill. Right and i use the term work loosely because really their work is whatever they can get to do and their work consists of also digging through the landfill for scraps and, and other things that they can sell for a, a small profit for maybe a handful of rice or sure. you know whatever it may be it's really you know as a spoiled american and i uh, you know i i know that for a fact I look over there and I they live in conditions that I don't understand how how it's done. Right? Is that right. something that stumped you as well and as you, as you were filming the documentary did you did you kind of learn more about how how they live in such ad, abject poverty? I did. Yes, do maintain a positive attitude? I did.
1: It was eye opening so i had done research i had talked to law school students who had who had been in a human rights study clinic who had been there that's where i really began to understand what was happening so i had a, a pretty good picture i imagined a picture of it but when you were there it's it's completely different and and it's so shocking because it's it's so prevalent it's not just it's not just isolated in an area it's everywhere of course when you have a population of that many, you know, at that time when I first started going there, about 24 million people and 92% live on less than $2 a day. It's, it's just stunning. And it, it made me sort of more focused and more dedicated to really understanding it. The, the other important thing is to a person, everyone I met was absolutely lovely. I mean the Malagasy people are gentle people they're they're warm engaging Of course not everyone and certainly not the the politicians i portrayed but but they're they're really amazing people and i've i've got so many stories where i thought we were blocked that we wouldn't be able to do something i really wanted to do and one of the crew, one of the Malagasy crew just walks up to somebody and it's like they're all brothers and sisters in this, you know, and it's it's really kind of amazing because they're almost all in the same socioeconomic conditions, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, maybe somebody has a little bit nicer home than somebody else, but they're all brothers and sisters in poverty. And and that comes through. and, and even for those who have escaped it who were in they uh, they know because it's it's only by good fortune and maybe the the dedication of their parents that they were able to get an education and get a job and but but they know so they're I loved that feeling of community that feeling of family that that they share even with with strangers and their their customs are extraordinary the way they greet people and and help people and feed people and share tea and all of that, it's, it's just embracing. And it was important to me and very helpful to me because it was exhausting to do. We knew it was going to be a multi-year project because we were committed to following these families for several years. And so we made a lot of trips over there, but the people were extraordinary and, and you know made us want to double down and triple down on our commitment to getting a good film up. Well,
0: and that's, that's something that I'd love to speak to is the fact that it is a very high quality film. I wasn't sure what to expect uh, coming, you have a legal background. And then you started to go in and, and pursue this documentary. I thought, eh, maybe this is a entry-level film. No, this is a, a high-level, high-quality, beautifully shot, beautifully Thank rendered you. Thank you. documentary.
1: And that was the goal. That was the goal. It was, you know, I knew if we, if we had a chance at making a difference, it was, we're not only going to have to tell good stories, we were going to have to engage audiences and and I really did want to do the Malagasy people justice by making it a high-quality film. So the image we had was if we were viewing it on the big screen, right? And we wanted big visuals and big sound and, and make it entertaining is the wrong word, but but totally enthralling, even though, and, and this was part of the trick, we wanted to also give a feel. A, a true feel of what it's like to be in Madagascar where things are a little bit slower, right? A little bit lower key uh, just because of, of the economy there and the infrastructure and all that. Not too slow so that, you know, you would turn it off after 10 minutes. But, you know, that was part of the challenge. But we did want to make it big. It's about the country. It's about the social, political, and economic dynamics in the country. And we wanted to make it a big film. So, yeah, we were, we, uh, we that was our goal. So I'm I'm glad you
0: felt that way. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished on that front, most definitely. So you know, it was one of the situations where I, mm-hmm. I I could definitely I was in in the documentary. You know, I was involved. I was in in it, just enthralled with the whole thing. And it, in certain points, especially the, the the landfill sections, there, I was very thankful that you know yeah. I, <laughs> I wasn't actually there.
1: Well, you yeah, know, it's it's a funny thing. There were two hard sites to film. One was the landfill. Uh, malaria is rampant right it's an endemic in in madagascar and they get uh bubonic plague and pneumonic plague you know frequently wow and those landfills are just full of rats right and so when when i had a great crew and you know we would you know muster our courage and walk in there to to film because it was really important to do so when uh, uh i brought in a guy to to run a drone so we could get some aerials, uh, he wouldn't go near the place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause, you know, because it's a health hazard and the smoke is putrid, right? There's, there's uh, spontaneous combustion of the garbage and, and lots of um, people dying of respiratory disease and things like that. The other difficult place was the large quarry, you know, the quarry that, that Tina lived and worked in. Right. I, I really loved that. Um, I had focused on that very early on in the planning Because the visuals of of the large quarry cut into the side of this hill were extraordinary. The the different shades of gray, right, from the rock that were there and the jagged edges were really something. And then seeing the people, the families, right, working away in there. And to me, it represented, the parallel for an American would be a sentence of hard labor, Right.
0: Exactly what came to mind. Exactly. Right.
1: Right. Break breaking rock, hard labor for your entire life. And that is their sentence. Their sentence is a lifetime of hard labor. Uh, It's a sentence created by, you know, all the economic and political uh, structures. But it is it is a life sentence and there's really no way out. Uh, So Tina, her parents worked there. She worked there. You know, her kids, as much as she's trying uh, so hard to get them an education, get out of there, they're probably going to end up working there. It's it's tough.
0: yeah. As you mentioned, that's something that just blew me away was she's sitting there and she, she's breaking rocks. Literally, folks, I'm telling you right now, it's exactly as we're describing it. It is literally just breaking rocks to break rocks to break rocks, smaller and smaller and smaller. It's yep. and It's insane. But she's got her child there. I don't know what, three, four years old, maybe probably closer yep. to three. Yep. they're they're hanging out together and they're just having a conversation about mommy's sweating a lot. It looks like tears, but it's okay. <laughs> Mom is just yep. working, just working. And then they introduce her parents, and you know they're in their sixties, maybe even seventies, yep. yep. and they're yep. sitting there on the ground with smaller rocks and they're tinkering around with little smaller hammers, breaking it down. I'm like, this is literally. High. I, I can't even imagine wanting to be there as an individual that lives there. You, you'd be like, I, I, I have to imagine suicide is prevalent.
1: Yeah, um, it's not, but alcoholism is. Uh, yeah, I mean, which you know is is a form of suicide, I guess, and and it's it's rum and it's everywhere, and and predominantly, I mean, certainly in in women, but predominantly in the men uh, in the country, and it's it's tough because there's. For for a lot of men, you know, their the dreams are long gone, and and there's really not a lot of hope, and there's a lot of lot of pain, and a lot of hard work, which you know, I and mean, they work very hard for that one or two dollars a day, right?
0: Nothing, yeah. you know. Right. I, I think one of them was twenty nine cents a day if she got a, got to wash laundry all day long. Twenty nine right.
1: cents. Twenty nine cu- cents could buy two cups of rice to feed, feed, uh, oh my gosh,
0: man, it was just, it was just, uh, uh, just unimaginable. Yeah. But, and that was something that I noticed too. Is you didn't focus a lot on the men really the only men that were the focus were the politicians.
1: That's right. Well, you know, and it, that wasn't deliberate. So it's a great, great observation. Really greatly. It wasn't deliberate. I, uh, I went in there to follow families and when I uh, was able to get introduced to two families, you know, part of me wanted I wanted to hear their stories First of all, they had to be willing right sure. to have us invade their privacy And and I had to make clear what we were doing we were filming them and it would forever be Available their their life story good bad and ugly and and that you know They 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 had to agree to do that of course, but but it, it had to be something I didn't want I didn't want to select the hardship, you know, the one hardship, right? These people had to be representative of the Malagasy situation. And so I, I wanted people from different places, different ages and and you know, different backgrounds. And so when I went around and met people and interviewed to see if there was a story there or, or what their situation was, what I learned and to a person was these women are everything. Like the the yeah, they're so dedicated to the education of their children. Even if they're not educated, even though their parents weren't educated, they want their children to be educated. Even though their children with an education might not be able to get a job, and they will do as you saw anything right, right. to get the money, to to get the education, and for their kids. And they were really inspiring. And, and the men were hard workers, but in in terms of, you know, I, I've, I've said this, like at Q&As and film festivals and things, I said, yeah, you know, what was really remarkable was the dedication of women. And, you know, you'd see these women say, what? Well, of course, right? I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, the, the women and children are the ones who suffer in poverty the most, period, end and it is the women who are dedicated to the children in those situations in extraordinary ways. And in ways, a lot of men just can't be. And, and the men, and to be fair to the men, they had to do tough labor, very hard labor. But it was also common that because there was no barriers to leaving a family, right? Like, like Lynn's family, right, down in Fort Dauphin. I mean, she had these kids by different men there's no barrier for the men to say, Oh, you're pregnant. I'm out of here.
0: Yeah. Right. What did she had? Five kids and five different fathers, six, six, uh, six, six different fathers. Yeah. She had nine children altogether. Two were
1: nine uh, pregnancies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She, she lost two in pregnancy and then she lost another one when it was eight yeah. years old. And I'll tell you, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to say anything more about it, but the, Mm. The story there is so powerful. It is so just...
1: That is one of my favorite stories because when we first started interviewing her, we could tell that she's got this amazing personality, right? Oh, yeah. Strong, and, and she lit up the camera, and I was fascinated by that. But the story was a hard one, and in part, I was thinking, you know, is this representative? Is this too extreme you know, to be a representative of, of Malagasy women? Would it be, you know, p- part of wanting to portray the families was so that we in the West could feel some empathy and relate to these people in some way. So you wanted to tell their stories right down to the quick. and But, but she was so compelling, we kept filming her. And then there was this reveal about, which I'm not going to say, you know, right, but right. You know, that would spoil it, but this reveal that we only learned late in shooting about what she had wanted to do when she was young. And it was just like, wow. Right. You know, this is, this is an amazing, amazing story, a sad story, except as you saw for her daughter.
0: Yeah. And the the attention that she gave to all of the children, Mm -hmm. the effort Mm -hmm. she put forth to make sure there's food uh, for the children to eat, getting them dressed for school, just doing it everything she did, if she wasn't working was dedicated to those children. Mm -hmm. And that, that spoke tremendously. You know, I, in contrast, I started thinking of some of these shows that are on television that my wife watches and that I watch begrudgingly, not really begrudgingly. (laughs) uh, They live these highfalutin lives in these mansions and they talk about having children. It's so difficult and they have to have this nanny and that nanny and, yeah. and i'm going this lady has six children and they're her world yeah this lady is needs two nannies yeah for one yeah. child the contrast i mean it's literally from one end of the spectrum to the other but it's just like it's it's mind-blowing that they can be that far apart
1: yep yeah no it, it, that's absolutely right and and again i think yeah i was at a, i was at a film festival and and the uh program director wanted me to go down and introduce the film to the audience in the beginning. And as we're walking down, she, she said, you know, this is a pretty hard-hitting film. And, you know, our audience is used to sort of uplifting movies. You know, is there something that you can give them? And really, I find a great deal of hope and and sort of joy out of seeing the strength of these women and and you know their dedication and you, you get a sense that even in the worst conditions, the worst despair, they are not giving up. They will not give up. That, that goes to you know, the heart of the human spirit, which, which has to, no matter who we are, you, you just have to be happy to be able to, to witness something like that.
0: And, and it's, it's, it's real happiness. You know, She finds happiness in living. She finds happiness in her children. She finds happiness in, in surviving, literally. That's right. And you know, I think so many of us especially if you look at the climate in America today, not just with the coronavirus but everything else that's going on, we we're not happy, you know, obviously. And I don't know that we know what true happiness is anymore. Yeah. True happiness to us right now are all of my fancy little trinkets behind me and all my fun stuff and, you know, whatever uh, everybody has their own little hang-up. But we've we've lost sight of that and we've lost sight of working together. And is that something you took into account? Obviously, this wasn't happening when you were filming the documentary, but at the same time, it kind of was. I oh, mean- it
1: was. No, you're right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great observation. It, it really was. You know, I, I was particularly, so I, we started filming. I started doing research in 2014, and we started filming in earnest in 2015. And in November 2016, I felt the world turned upside down. And really, there were remarkable parallels, I felt, between the political antagonist in the film, who was the president, and, and then what was happening in, in not just the United States, but in other parts of the world. And it was, it was so I, I, I saw that, and I was alarmed by that. But I also saw that when you have these people living on the edge, right, living on the economic edge, that the, the growing wealth inequality in, in our country and, and generally you know, in the world puts more and more people on the economic edge. And certainly we are seeing that now, right? The, the effects of, of the pandemic with the economic dislocation are destroying people's lives. And, and uh, I think the World Bank estimates that there's, uh, in 2020 there's going to be another 40 to 60 million people going into extreme poverty. That's a lot of people going into extreme poverty. And, you know, there there, there won't be that many, uh, rel- there will be relatively few of them coming from Madagascar because they're already in extreme poverty. But there's a lot to it. There's a lot lot that we can compare to our lives in in looking at uh, the plight of these people. And, 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 and as I say, the courage of these people too.
0: Right, exactly. And that's what's so inspirational out of the film is the courage. Yeah. They, they still have pride. They still take pride in what they do. You know what, what? One of the things that really blew me away, and I don't remember which one it was, but she woke up in the morning with her children, and she said, hurry up, get up. Let me tidy this up a bit. And Tina, yeah. they, was it, it was Tina. Okay. They, they live in shanties. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a shanty town, yet she still has pride. Oh, yeah. Clean the house. I Let me clean this up so we can get our day started.
1: Well, you see, you see Lynn, she's she's got a, a put together broom sweeping the courtyard, which is dirt. Yeah, exactly. So just sweeping the dirt to get all the footprints out and make it look no- yeah, no, absolutely. They they have nothing but they what they do have, they really try to take care of and and value the smallest things. Yeah. Right? And-, and to your earlier point, things that we just discard, you know, don't care about they a way they, they cherish and value, and, and there's uh, there's a great deal of uh, joy in that, I think.
0: I think so, too, you know, and you even saw it at the, at the rock query. Yeah. The, she cleaned her area before she started breaking rocks. Right. She cleaned right. her area before she took a rock and made it a smaller rock, but she still wanted a clean area to start from. That right. was mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Because I'd be like, dude, i got to break this rock. I'm going to throw it over here. I'm going to break this rock, I guess, oh, yeah. whatever, oh, yeah. you know. But no, Mm -hmm. extreme pride, extreme setting an example for a child and and showing what it means to still carry yourself, regardless of your economic hardships and regardless of the challenges that their environment is bringing them, even though it's such a rich environment, it should never happen. So where's the disconnect?
1: Yeah. So this is this is the no. (laughs) Poverty is not fate right? Poverty isn't inevitable. There is sufficient resources on the planet to eradicate poverty, full stop, full stop. You need to channel resources into education, healthcare, housing, and work opportunities. That's it. And as you see, people will do it. They'll get educated, they'll work hard, they'll progress. But you know we have these institutional structures that that really put friction on progress and the growing wealth inequality in the world i think I, i'm i'm all for people making money absolutely i think it's i think the the extreme wealth inequality where eight men have as much wealth as the bottom half of the world 3.6 billion people i think i don't think that's quite Right. Not, not that, not that they didn't earn it or, you know, but, but that's, that's just an easy hook, right? It's nothing against those eight men. It's just that, that we know that a declining percentage of the population is acquiring most of the wealth. And with that, and not that they're declining in numbers, they're growing in numbers. It's just that everybody else is growing in numbers. And with that comes extreme political and economic influence to protect that wealth. Oh, yeah. And and so they do it, and they do it through the political system. They do it through the economic system. They do it through the social system. And that that prevents really meaningful progress in eradicating poverty. And, and it's possible to do. It, it just is possible to do. And that's one of the things I do want people to think about, in, in all of this is that it can be done if we had the will to do it and it would not be that painful. It's, it, it, would take, you know, resources that would be, you know, the terrible word reallocated, but channeled into humanity. And, and I think, I think there's, I think that can happen. It won't happen now because we seem to be moving in, in an opposite direction in the world but it will happen and it can happen and and you know that will be better that will be great for everybody <laughs> it'll be great for everyone if if the the least uh, lucky of us and it's just a matter of where you are born sure it's the yeah, least lucky of us it, you know can have an education and and gain some hope for for their lives and the lives of their children
0: wow yeah. do you do you see madagascar do do they have the resources there themselves to use yeah.
1: around? Yeah, absolutely. They do. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mineral rich country. They've got mines, rare mineral mines. They've got agriculture, you know, it's, it's a, a very rich, but rich country that way. But, and they, and, and they should have more tourism, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but the poverty, is such that, and again, it's sort of like, you need the will to tackle the poverty, to be able to create, create the opportunities for agricultural production, to, to preserve the rainforest. You're not going to preserve that rainforest. You're not going to preserve the lemurs, you know, and the rainforest and the lemurs and the beautiful coastline draw tourists in, that's all going to go away if you don't solve poverty. It's just going to all go away. I've had this conversation with environmentalists who, where millions of dollars get spent on documentary films about the lemurs. Right? Right. Morgan Freeman just narrated one on, on the lemurs of Madagascar, and poverty is is not even addressed. And when I talk to environmentalists about that, you know, it's easier to get people to focus on these lemurs sure Um, it's hard to discuss poverty and yes it is and it turns people off but the lemurs will disappear if poverty is not not addressed in madagascar And, and and many of them get that and and i've had great conversations with many and been invited to talk with with some of them and some groups even the oakland zoo that was all over this but yeah they they have agriculture they have mines a lot of the mines and a lot of the wealth has been leased, right? In long-term leases to foreign companies right. right, that have exploited it. And we don't know what those deals are because you've had people in charge of government who make these deals, which, which are terrible for the country, right? Great, great for the conglomerates that come in, terrible for the country. But there's no question that something was paid under the table to these people. So they, they were fine for making those deals. And then for, you know, the next 25, 50 years or longer, those resources are gone. You saw in the film, Mark Ravlaman and his deal with South Koreans, right? right? Right. And so that's, you know, it's like, what, what are you thinking? And that was going to be literally for free. The, the, the compensation would be employment for people. Other than that. They were just, he was just giving it away, at least as a country, they were giving it away. Right. So, yes, it, it, things can be done, but the, the political system there is just broken. It's, it's broken and hard to imagine. There's, there's a, a a new young leader in there, Andre Razuela. And uh, hopefully he can make a difference. I don't know if he's going to. There are some good things about it, some bad. But but again, it's a system systemic issue. It's an institutional issue. But there's the the political structure there is is broken. You can't you know anyone who wants to run there's no there's no established political party. So anyone who wants to run creates their own political party, and then they go out and and try to get people to vote for them. And I don't know, it's it's, it, it's all pretty um, pretty dysfunctional politically. And while the international community tries to instill democracy through conditions on economic aid and things like that, it's almost an imposition of their idea of democracy, that they impose these conditions and then sort of agree to or adopt whatever democracy comes out just so that they can say, okay, now we'll give aid. And it, and that's great. The aid is necessary, but it's, it's almost being complicit in, in a dysfunctional democracy uh, in so many ways. So there's got to be something there, some bold leadership. I, I'm encouraged by many of the young people I've met, many of whom would like to get involved in politics But even even like in our country are afraid perhaps of being compromised too much by, you know, how do you succeed without without that? And it's a tricky situation. But again, it is possible. There's a he was portrayed in in the film as an expert, a guy named uh, Father Pedro Mm Opeca, And um, he's created Akamaso there. And that model is a model that uh, addresses poverty, eradicates extreme poverty educates people, provides health care. And that can be sized up. That's just a matter of money. He raises all of the money himself in private donations. And that could be scaled. And, and that could be scaled through the whole country. In fact, it could be scaled around the world. It's it's just a matter of allocating the resources in smart way. Right. Yeah. Oh,
0: man, uh, it, it's it's a very daunting task for sure i want to back it up for just a second and it's kind of a trivial question yeah. but i'm still curious when you're talking of the lemurs and then we talk about poverty what is the separation there how closely related are the two are, are i mean can you walk a mile and suddenly you're in the rainforest from from some of the poverty or is it you know hundreds of miles away what's what, how closer are they to each other
1: yeah, it's it's both. You know, it's, Madagascar is the fourth largest island in right. the in the world. It's it's enormous. It's the size of France, and so the rainforest. So basically, poverty has caused uh, the deforestation of of the country. Right? People have had to cut down trees uh, for charcoal. The country gets very cold in the winter. And to cook food, you need the charcoal, and that's what the trees do. So at one time, it was mostly forest, and now it's mostly not. But there is a rainforest, particularly around the coastal areas, that's preserved. And it's beautiful. It's magnificent. Uh, I've been into it. It's rich with, with diverse plant and animal life. Really special. So yeah, you can be in a very poor area and walk into the rainforest, as people do for example, to find bushmeat, lemurs, right? And uh, other animals, uh, or to cut down trees. And, you know, it's it's protected, it's protected through international agreements, it's protected to a degree uh, in the country, but there's only so much you can do with, with that much poverty. People have to eat, people have to right.
0: stay warm. That blew me away too, when she went down to get fire. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. I'm going to go down here to the neighbor's house and get some fire. Hopefully they'll give me some fire. I was like, Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm watching in afraid or if I'm watching a documentary, this is
1: fire and water, right? I mean, they don't have water. They don't have drinking water and, and it's, it's pretty bare bones living and, and scraping through. And, and as I say, they're getting right. sick all the time because of, because of the water and because of the, um, because of malaria. And, and in fact, yeah. I, I love the country. I'm dedicated to it, and, and love the people. But malaria is endemic. They have hurricanes and floods. They have locusts. They have the plague. You know, it's like these biblical <laughs> right. disasters are right. visited on these amazing, amazing people all the time. You know, there's a way through it. As you, as as you pointed out, it, uh, or asked the question, it is a it is it has rich natural resources. And really hardworking people, um, you know, we saw the effects uh, in 2009 and the five years following when the United States pulled the plug on their textile industry. Um, the hard, hard workers, right, doing, you know, stuff that that was supplying our, our clothes, our garments, right, right? Puma and, and all of that. Uh, you know, when we pulled the plug on that, people just had to go to the streets and into the landfill.
0: It's rough. It is is it, you've got to see this film to understand it. It's just it's mind-boggling. It really is. And it'll put you in your place quick. So what are, what are your long term goals? What do you see in the future? Are you, are you gonna do a Madagascar sequel or progression? Or yeah. is there anything along those lines? That- I
1: love the, oh, I love the question. Yeah. So yeah, so it's not a sequel, but there's a second film that's I guess you could call them a duology. There's a trilogy in three. I think two is a duology. They're not dependent on each other, but they relate to each other. And that is this guy who's Father Pedro Opeca. So when I interviewed him, I was just taken with him and his story. And he is an expert in, in Madagascar. And the more time I spent with him, the, the more I realized he's probably one of the most interesting and fascinating and heroic people I've ever met. And at the age of of sixteen, growing up in Buenos Aires, being a gifted athlete, he had an opportunity to play professional soccer in a premier league club uh, in Argentina. But he was in the uh, studying to be a uh, priest at the time uh, and made that choice and and not just a priest but a missionary to go to the poorest country on the planet so Larry, you and me at 16, you know, we we would have gone pro, right? Yeah, (laughs) you can bet. (laughs) Right. And and it's a remarkable story, again, about dedication and willpower and the desire to do justice and the great sacrifice to do so. But he's an extraordinary guy, so I I loved his story, and um, I convinced him to let me do a uh, documentary of him. So we extended... The production time and and did some other things, but we've we wrapped that. We we uh, finished post production at the end of last year. We're into film festivals this year now, okay? Because the pandemic, we we don't have any physical festivals yet, but we had a world premiere online at the Brooklyn Film Festival that ended last week. And so so that that's that's the next film. Some of my friends have encouraged me to do a third on the politics, but make it a narrative and not a documentary. I don't think I'm going to do that because it is painful <laughs> traveling to Madagascar. It is painful. And, and the conditions are are pretty tough, but I, I will always go back. I'll always go back at least once a year just because of all the friends I've made there and, and the people I care for. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the pandemic has allowed a lot of thinking time uh, at home. And, and uh, so I've got two projects that I'm beginning to work on, uh, one, and both relate to law in a way, uh, one is uh, about a whistleblower, a certain aspect of a whistleblower's uh, life, and one is about a, a Supreme Court justice and a, a certain aspect of, of his life. And I've started the research on that and getting kind of excited about it.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds cool. Very cool. Well, I am definitely looking forward to seeing, uh, can you give the name of the one that just hit the festival yeah, this year? It's
1: Opeca. And... Um, okay i see you there opeka uh opekafilm.com and we'll be um uh, we'll be going uh, uh online in a few more festivals pretty soon
0: very very cool so but let's not forget about Madagascar. it is a mind-blowing film you have got to check it out and you know i i don't say that about a lot of shows you know i have these little knickknack shows that i like to watch or whatever but this is it'll change your perspective or at least it'll give a a little different perspective on on the way things are right now in our country and the way things are that we think are so bad but if we put that in contrast to what's going on in other parts of the planet we realize that wow this is uh, not so bad after all exactly so exactly so cam i appreciate it man it's been great thank you larry Thank you so much, and I'd love to talk to you about OPECA sometime as well. And next time around, I'd love
1: to do the show again. Really would.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hopefully, you picked up a lot of a lot of cool insight from Cam. Man, it was a uh, just a um, just great. It was great talking to him. It's a phenomenal film, and I've said it three or four or five times, but check it out, man. Go, go check it out. It, it debuts the 26th of June on uh, Amazon Prime and several other streaming services. So take a look at it. And uh, until next week, we'll do it again. Thanks for listening. Bye.